Well, it's such a pleasure to be here with you, Australia for Christ Church, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing with you. Thank you for having me. Uh, your Deeper Weekend Conference is such a needed area for all believers to go a little deeper or even a whole lot deeper. And uh, I believe that this message, which is about the fire and the presence and the altar of God, will actually help us to travel into that place. And I know that the power of the Holy Spirit is here to touch your lives this weekend at a deeper level. The fire of God is going to both purge and cleanse, but also reignite passion and reignite us for a fresh new day. As we come out of this season where the world's been in a crazy way, there's been lockdowns because of this pandemic affecting every nation on earth. Unusual. I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. But I also believe that coming out of it, the church will rise higher than it's ever risen before. Even in this lockdown time, I know plenty of people who have experienced a reviving in their own heart towards God, in their prayer life, in their Bible reading life, uh, some in their marriages, in their family life. So it is a time of reviving. It's a time of renewing. And this, this message starts in 2 Timothy 1.6. And it says, uh, it is Paul reminding his young protege, his young mentee. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That's a, that's a fantastic passage just to linger there for a little where we are told Paul is saying, therefore, so for whatever reasons, if the church has been in barrenness, if there are problems and difficulties and challenges, if there are anything, he said, therefore, in, in, this, in the light of this situation, I'm telling you, stir up the gift of God that is in you. In fact, that word stir up the gift is better translated fan into flame. And when we're sitting around a fire and it's burning low, one of the things you do is put on fresh wood and start to fan it, give it more oxygen and give your gift a whole lot more attention, a whole lot more oxygen. It's like a plant crying out for water. Some people bury their gift because they don't think it, it amounts to much. Some people ignore their gift because they're distracted with other things they think are, are more important. Sometimes we can look at a person who's got like five gifts and we think, why would I even try? I'm not even like that. And Jesus gave five to one, three to another, and one to another. And it says the five went away and traded with his gifts and the other one with his gifts, but the one with one gift, he buried it because the risk factor of trying to do something with his one little gift was too great. He thought, I'll just bury it and, and give it back to Jesus when he comes home. Well, I want you this weekend to dig it up. Whatever gift that has been lying dormant, whatever gift has been ignored or is withered, in your world, 
I want you to dig it up this weekend. And, and sometimes we think all of our gifts are spiritual gifts. I got, a, I got a gift of being able to do art. And I find that when I do that gift, there's an immense level of satisfaction for me. But I channel that gift to represent Jesus in so many ways. Or else just to simply make people smile to show them the brightness of life, to remind them of creation, of flowers, butterflies, whatever. Or else to encourage family life with pictures of couples or prayer life, people praying and trying to make it as endearing and as attractive as possible and as uplifting. But that's a, the, the gift of painting can be taken and used like that. It isn't always a spiritual like word of knowledge or prophecy gift that we're talking about here. There's any number of gifts that God has given us. Some of you might have the gift of cooking. I don't have that gift. (laughs) Some of you might have the gift of gardening. I don't have that gift either. Plants cry when I buy them at the the hardware store. They they weep. They they say goodbye. All the the friends say goodbye. We're so sad to see you go to the Pringles. Because I don't have a green thumb. And... Plants go to our place to die. There's no doubt about it. I, but then I love things like sailing. And it's a rejuvenating thing. So the, the, the gifts for adventure, the gifts can be a, a far broader scope than we think. I know people who have a gift for maths and, and physics and engineering and science. It fascinates me because I cannot make head or tail of any of it. But they've just got a brain that's wired up that way to fully understand it. And they can explore the wonders of how God's put the whole universe together. It is fascinating. So whatever the gift is that we have not used for a while, let's dig it up. You might have a gift of just helping people. There is a gift of helps in the Bible. And I've known some of the greatest ministers in the history of the world have claimed that they've only had one gift, and that's that. They help people. They just have a gift of of being able to help other people. They help at church. They help in all sorts of areas. And do you know, revival in our spirit happens when we do our gift. I have a little saying, when you do your gift, the wind will blow. Because I know I have a gift of prophesying. And when I start to prophesy, I can feel the wind of God come up behind me and breathe into people's lives. Now, I wouldn't say that I have a, have a great deal of confidence that I've got a gift of healing. I, have, I see miracles happen and some people get healed every now and then, but it's not my primary calling. I will go there if, if I'm in a, in a place and I feel that I'm being led that way, but I don't just think I can go ahead and do that. But with prophecy, I do. It's a resident, permanent gift on the inside of me that I can stir it up. How do you stir up a gift? You start doing it. And you do it at the level of your faith. If you have the gift of tongues, use that. Speak in tongues. It's it's the first entry point. It's the least of the gifts. And so it's an easy entry point into the supernatural world. And as soon as we go there and we awaken our spirit again, we revive. Our our spiritual eyes open from being closed. Our spiritual ears open. And we start to hear and see and even 
sense, if you like, smell the presence of the Lord. And once our heart starts to beat again for God, the closer we get to Him, the more we want Him. The more you get of God, the more you want of Him. It's not like you're ever satisfied. You're satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction. The hunger for God is a prerequisite for any kind of reviving influence in our lives. And to go deeper and to go further with Christ, to get closer to Him, means we've got to awaken our spirit. And when we awaken our spirit, instantly we'll find ourselves drawing nearer to God. Paul said that this gift is in you through the laying on of my hands. It feels to me like Paul had more confidence that the gift was in Timothy than Timothy did in himself. Because several times Paul says to him, do not neglect that gift that's in you. Don't, don't stir it up. Remember who you are. Fear and timidity, which Timothy was subject to, often afraid. And Paul speaks about fear twice in, the, in his letters to him. He says, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. And he, he only mentions the problem twice. He mentions faith around 27 times in those two letters. So he concentrates on the answer, not on the problem. And thereby sheer overflow. If we're filled with faith, fear is, is pushed out of our system. So he was saying, I've laid my hands on you and we have imparted a gift to you. Let me say this. That impartation can happen through the laying on of hands, mostly happens through the laying on of hands, but doesn't have to be limited to that. Jesus healed many people through the laying on of hands, but then he also healed people by speaking a word to a town 10 miles away. And he say, your, your servant is healed. And they would go and find that the servant was healed the same moment that Jesus spoke that word. So the fact is that we do not need to be in physical contact for the impartation of a gift. But we can speak a word. And before this message finishes here today, I want to speak into your world, into your lives, into your churches, into your conference there. And I believe that God has a word for you, has an impartation for you, so that you will go from this place renewed, rejuvenated, and revived. Revived with fresh fire, from heaven. Now let me let me go to this next point where Paul says I remind you to stir up the gift. You notice that that he said I remind you to stir up the gift. That that's fascinating to me because this means he knew it but he wasn't doing it and needed reminding to get to do it. To Peter the apostle Peter says for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent, meaning his body, to stir you up by reminding you. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Okay, so here's the thing. Sometimes we imagine if I could hear some new truth, some, some fresh revelation, that that is going to excite me. 
I know all this other stuff. I've heard every sermon you can hear. I don't know, I don't know that just hearing it again is going to... And yet, Peter says, I'm going to stir you up by reminding you. An anointed reminder will have far more impact on us than some new thought. And he is saying, I will always be reminding you. I tell pastors, never apologize for repeating yourselves. It takes all of us about seven times before we really get what somebody is saying. And it takes us about 20 times before we'll start doing it. So that's why it's a good idea to listen to podcasts, especially Phil Pringle podcasts, <laughs> or to read a book, not just once, but twice, and listen to the podcast again and again until we actually embrace the truth and it becomes part of who we are. Some passages of scriptures I've read thousands of times. I've spoken them, confessed scriptures tens of thousands of times, and you can feel it going deeper and deeper and deeper into who you are, shaping your subconscious, shaping your heart attitudes, the things that are involuntary, so that you are being guided by a habit that formed you once you had formed the habit. We form habits, then the habits form us. And, and here, is, here is Peter saying, I'm going to keep reminding you while I am in this tent. So he says, okay, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you. That's part of my ministry. I'm going to remind you and stir you up. And then he says, uh, as long as I'm in this tent, I'm going to keep stirring you up. And then he says, I'm going to write these things down so that when I die, you'll still be reminded of them. Three reminder culture things that Peter brought into the life of the church. Old Testament, Psalm 78, such a brilliant psalm, speaking about the law that God had instituted in Israel where they would remind their children of the power of God so that they would tell their children of the power of God and so that their children, the generation to come, would know about the power of God. And then it speaks about Ephraim. He, even though he, they were armed in the day of battle, they turned back because they lost courage. And the fact is we can have all the theology, we can have all the training, we can have all the experience of the past, but if we lack heart in the time of a battle, we're going to find ourselves turning back, even though we've got all the weapons, even though we're, we, we, we faint at the sight of giants if we've lost heart. And that is why being in the scripture and letting an impartation of courage, boldness and faith come into our spirit eradicating all the things that corrode our faith from the inside and from underneath. If we've got unrepented of sin in our lives, we should get it out. Take it out because it is just white anting all of our foundations and we are on unsteady ground. Once we clear it out, and, and I mean, you can't repent from a thing and not forsake it. You've you got to say, I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm getting out of, of doing that. And when we do that, the blood of Jesus cleanses us and we're back into a confident lifestyle, which is where Christ wants you to be and wants me to be. So he is saying, I'm reminding you to stir up that gift and to get nourishment from doing your gift. Jesus in John 4 verse 30, 34 says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I have never found doing the will of God drain me. I've always found it to energize me. And that for me is a, is a guiding 
light as to whether what I'm doing is from the Lord or not. And we can, we can be doing something for God for several years, but then that season stops. And what used to energize us now drains us. What used, what used to be something that we loved, now something we're not loving it so much. We're, we're feeling drawn to a new season, a new day. And so I ask some people, I say, look, working as a leader within a team, does it energize you or does it not? Do you get energized by working solo, by working on your own and solving problems on your own? Because if you do and you, get, you, you don't get energized working on a team, it's going to be a problem trying to have you in the team because you'll blockade everybody else from trying to put anything into you and you want to do it all yourself. And so it, it doesn't make for a great team player. Or there's many different areas to look at in this. Does, for me, the most de-energizing thing I can do is to sit down and try and counsel somebody with, with therapeutic counsel. I am not a counselor. Instantly, I just feel tired and weak, literally de-energized. I'm not just talking about the notion. I can feel strength going out of me. I'm trying to do a gift that I don't have. I'm trying to do something that I'm not wired up for. But put me in a meeting where I've got to make decisions, fight good, great fights and, and push forward with a vision and bring everybody on board. I'm energized because that's my calling. And, and give me teaching in our Bible college, preaching the word of God, ministering to people, the life of the Holy Spirit. I'm energized. But, but for me to, to even, even to, to visit people in hospitals, I find it so hard. I love them. I care about them, but I've got a, a lot of pastors who can do that, and, and th therefore I don't do it. I, I don't do the things like marrying people or, or funerals because that, that's a more pastoral, empathetic uh, gift, which, which I let our pastors do. I make sure that I'm reserving my resources and energies for what I'm meant to do. But if I was a pastor, I would find... The, 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 it, and only a pastor, somebody committed to doing just that. I would love looking after people at their weddings and, and helping them at their funerals when people have passed or their baby dedications and, and looking after all these things. I've been there at the early part of my ministry of, of what we were doing. That was what I, you had to, that, that was being a pastor. But I loved it, absolutely reveled in it. But there came a day when I knew it had finished. I was a song leader once, I used to play the guitar, worship, and there came a day when it didn't do it for me anymore. I knew I had to let it go. It was a little challenging. But as we do the will of God, it nourishes us. It sets us on fire. And sometimes we're trying to hang on to something that God's saying, let it go. I've got a new day for you and, and, and to do something great. Now, I want to come to a close soon with, with this great story. It'll be about another five uh, five minutes or so that this story will take. And then I want to pray for you and believe God to touch your world. The story is in 1 Kings and it's Elijah on Mount Carmel. And it says, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. 
So this is steps to getting the fire back in our lives. If we feel like we're a little soggy, we feel like we're, we're wet with the world, we're discouraged, we're flat a little. We, and sometimes, you know what? That state has become a normal for us. And we've forgotten that really we, we, there is a higher place. There is a deeper world to live in. And Jeremiah, he says, dwell deep. He wants us to dwell in a place of connection with Christ and communion with the Holy Spirit. Where we spend, spend a day with him. Where we just renew our relationship with the Lord. And so that's the first word that Elijah says when he's trying to bring the entire nation of Israel back from idolatry. They're worshiping these false gods everywhere. The wicked king and his wife Jezebel had introduced had introduced Baal worship, idol worship, all sorts of idol worship into the entire nation. And now the nation was in drought, hadn't been water for three years. And Elijah has given a contest to the prophets of Baal, the priests of Baal. He said, and there's, there's like 800 of them. He says, you guys, if you can get fire out of heaven to consume a burnt sacrifice, then we'll all worship your gods. Fair enough. They said, absolutely. They thought they were up for the challenge. And he said, but if I can call fire out of heaven from my God, then we'll worship him as God. You okay with that? I said, yep, agreed. So he says, you guys go first. So they spent the entire day ranting, chanting, dancing, cutting themselves, screaming out to their God. They were, up, they were doing this for like 10 hours. And Elijah was mocking them while they're doing it. He says, maybe your God's gone to sleep. Cry a little louder. And anyway, because he knew he was acting on a guidance from God as to exactly what to do. And then at the time of the evening sacrifice, this is the passage that we read. He, he repairs the altar. But first he said, come near. He called all, all the tribes of Israel. He said, come near. And that's the first step to revival in our lives to draw near to God. If we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. And once we, once we start drawing near to God, and you know what? Drawing near to one another, even though we're in lockdown and in this unusual time, I've found that you can still be close to one another through the internet, through technology. And you know what? When I've seen it so many times. When one coal is next to another, it stays on fire. They st two coals, hot coals, three, four, five. They keep a fire going when they're all together. When you separate them, they all go cold real quick. Isolation is not something you and I are meant to have emotionally or spiritually. We're meant to bond with other people. And God has put us in our churches with people that we are meant to be close to like a, a coal fire. And so together, the fire keeps burning. We pray together. We share about God together. We talk about the word together. We have fun together. We, we do life together. We eat together. All of these things keep that fire burning on the inside. You got to make sure that the people you're hanging out with are on fire. Hang out with people who are cold or rocks. Nothing much is going to happen there. So staying on fire means that I stay 
in relationship with people who are on fire. The second thing, he repairs the altar. This is so important. You know, uh, in all of our lives, there's got, there should be a constant place of surrendering our lives to Jesus. And we're talking about a 100% yieldedness to Christ. The song, the song, I Surrender All. You know, I surrender 63%. I sur- okay, I'll go up a little 75%, but I got to have that. I'm just holding on to that. Surrender is not surrender unless it's all. And you need an altar to put your life on as an act of surrender. We don't have physical altars, but the altar of prayer every day. To have a commitment to pray every morning of your life and say, it's gonna, I'm going to start, even to go away from this time with a five-minute commitment every morning. I'm going to commit, if you've, if you've never done it before, start with something that's achievable and then move it on. And I can guarantee you that you, you start praying for five minutes, you're going to wish it was longer soon. And if you're in the Bible for five minutes, you're going to wish it was longer soon. An hour will become two hours. And you'll find that all the things of this world, the stimulus, the entertainments, it starts to grow more dull when you taste heaven and you can actually see the Lord with your spiritual eyes open. So the altars had been destroyed by Jezebel, but now Elijah repaired them. Any preacher needs to repair the altar of prayer, repair the altar of Bible, repair the altar of church. If these have broken down in people's lives, regular, consistent habits like that are an altar. And so Elijah repaired them. And then uh, it says, as living stones, 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, as living stones, you are built up a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So then it says he put, he put the sacrifice, the bull, on that altar after he had put the wood in order, got it all ready. And then he simply came forward and he prayed a very simple prayer at the time of the evening offering. He said, Lord, show them who's God. And out of heaven, there was this ripping sound as a huge bolt of fire came down and consumed not just the sacrifice, but all the stones and the wood. And Elijah had put water all around. He'd gotten water to be poured on the sacrifice to make it look like it was impossible. He knew that God was not limited and that the fire of God would fall on what was on that altar. Now, here's my final point. The fire of God did not fall on that cow out in the field. Elijah didn't say, Lord, we're here tonight and uh, in the evening offering and see Harry the bull over there. We're giving him up to you. And the fire fall on Harry in the field. Didn't happen like that. They had to bring the bull. They had to sacrifice it on that altar. When we're on the altar, that's when the fire falls. When we're in a surrendered position, that's when the fire falls. It's not just a physical thing of coming forward in a church service and standing in an area called the altar. It's actually making circumstantial changes in our lives so that we every day are coming before the Lord and saying, here's an altar. And sometimes we will have an experience, 
an encounter with God in a church meeting, in a conference such as this. But that, that experience, that encounter needs to morph into a lifestyle so that we take it and we make sure that that fire is not just wildfire, but it is honed and it becomes effective. I want to pray for you right now, whoever you are, wherever you are, and to say, I want to yield my life to Christ. Now, some of you may never have actually asked Jesus to come into your life. I want you to do that today. Some of you might be away from God. You used to know Him, but you don't now. You need to come back. I want you to come back today. And there could be some of you who are just not sure you're going to heaven. Please, today, pray this prayer with me. And I want you to get assurance in your heart that you're going to heaven. So if that's you, you've never asked Christ into your life, you've been away from God, or you're not sure that you're going to heaven, please pray this prayer to God with me right now. It's your prayer, not mine. I'm just helping you say it. Can you say these words to God? Dear God in heaven, I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. I ask to be born again. I repent from sin. Cleanse me. Receive me. Make me your child. Thank you, God, for saving me. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray for the peace of God to fill every heart that has prayed that prayer. And right now, all over the, the congregation, right through this conference, I would like everybody just to reach out to God. If you're comfortable with lifting your hands and reaching out for Him, please go ahead right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for the power and the peace, but more than anything else, the fire and the reviving power of God to penetrate so deeply into the spirit and soul of every person in this conference. I pray, Father, that you would draw so near and make your presence felt so that they're not just imagining or hoping or supposing that God is with them, but they know they met God and that God met them. In the name of Jesus, Heavenly Father, pour out your spirit on this great conference today. Amen. Look, uh, we'd love you to stay in contact with the church. And so please put your details, send in your details uh, in the way that they have guided you. Uh, and uh, they'd love to send you a gift. God bless you, Australia for Christ Church. It's been a pleasure being with you. I pray that the blessing of heaven rests so powerfully upon you. and look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Bye now.